mindsets aren't a cure-all or a panacea, right? Like they can have effects because they can shift the way that people feel and act, but it's not a magic bullet, so to say. It's something that, you know, can unfold over time, but it's also something where it matters to the environment that someone is in. Hello, hello. I welcome you to another episode of Reaching Your Goals. Reaching Your Goals is a career podcast where you get the insights to go from motion to action, making things happen. I'm your host, Johanna Herbst. I'm a certified executive and career coach and a management consultant with an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. My mission is to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness, and have some fun along the way. Today, it's all about how our beliefs and mindset shape our professional future. So basically, we will get the insights on what to believe today to be successful tomorrow. And I have the best possible guest for that. It's Lauren Ho. She is an assistant professor in management with a focus on the future of work at the University of Surrey. In her research, she explores what people believe about the changing world of work and how mindsets about aspects of the future of work play a role in shaping it. She also has a keen interest in leaders revealing their more human sides, such as the consequences of disclosing flaws and shortcomings. Lauren's findings have been published in the New York Times, the Harvard Business Review, Scientific American, and many, many, many more. She received her PhD in social psychology from Stanford University, and she lives now in Zurich in Switzerland, and basically 10 minutes walking distance from where I'm based. Lauren, it's so great to see you again. How are you doing this morning? Great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show, and I'm looking forward to the discussion. Perfect. And as always, I would love to start with a few rapid fire questions to get to know you more on a personal level. Are you ready? Yes, let's go. So I'm so excited to finally have a neighbor here. You are an American based in Switzerland. What is one typical Swiss thing that you have already adopted? Yeah, I would say one Swiss tradition that I love and look forward to, especially around this time of the year, is when it starts to become raclette and fondue season, where you start to see all the Mm. delicious cheese popping up in the different grocery stores. And I think that's just a lovely way that the Swiss get cozy during winter that I I very much appreciate. So, so true. And I saw that as part of your bachelor's studies, you also studied the German language. Do you have a favorite German word? Ooh, that is a great question. There's so many to choose from. This might be a a bit of a philosophical answer, but I really like the word Enttäuschung. Which at first might sound surprising because it's a negatively valenced word, but I love that if you translate it to English, it means de-deception, which means actually when you're disappointed, there's something valuable in it because now you understand more the truth of the thing that you were looking at. So you're no longer deceived in being disappointed. Oh, wow. I never thought about it this way. Thank you. That is so cool. (laughs) And say, what do you need to be at your best? I would say what I need to be at my best, one quick answer is coffee. That's something that I look forward to every morning. But I would say, oh yeah, cheers. I have my signature cup right next to me as well. But I think, um, you know, when you say that question, what do I need to be at my best? I think a lot of it can depend on the context. But one thing that's common for me, probably a lot of contexts is good company. So I think the people that you're surrounded by 
whether it's at work or in the activities that you're enjoying at your free time, really can help you to be your best, to feel like yourself, to feel energized and accepted. So that's one thing that I think, regardless of whether it's work and the team that I'm a part of or enjoying time in the Swiss mountains, uh, who you're with makes a big difference. And you just mentioned good company. What word would they use to describe you in just one word? One word that I get a lot is non-judgmental. I think um, <laughs> I love to hear people's stories, learn about them, and create a space where people can be honest. And who is one of your role models? I have so many role models, it's hard to choose. Maybe I'll just share two, also because both of them are, are related to the topic of mindsets. So one role model for me is my postdoc advisor, Ali Crum, who's a professor in the psychology department at Stanford. And I think for me, she has an inspiring vision around the research that she does where she really wants to understand How, mind shifts, how mindsets can shape consequential outcomes, so how they can shape the things that really matter, like our health and well-being. And she's been a big source of inspiration for me professionally. My other role model is actually a grad student who joined the lab after I did, Carrie Leibowitz. And she's also a scholar who's studied mindsets. And for me, she's been a source of inspiration because she's very passionate about science communication, sharing her findings with the public. She actually inspired me to do my first ever science writing for The Atlantic. I kind of saw her as a role model there. So two very important role models in my life. Wow. As part of your research, you also work with leaders. What is one quality that is really, really important in leaders? I would say one quality that I'm excited to hear more and more discussion about as being part of leadership is empathy. I think this is something that became even more present through the pandemic as we thought about what helps leaders to yes. be successful. I think as the world faces all of these different sources of turbulence, you know, crises, wars, having yes. leaders who can really help us to cope with uncertainty and negative emotion is key. And I think empathy is a big part of how leaders can do that. And what is the best advice you've been given in your personal or in your professional life? That's a good question. I think one, one piece of advice that stands out to me, which is actually true, I think, both personally and professionally in some ways, is to uh, remember the phrase, every yes is a silent no. So every time that you say yes to something, it feels good to say yes, right? Yes. It feels good to take on new challenges, whether it's you know something at work or whether it's an activity with friends. But time is limited. It's a precious yes. resource. And so every time that you say yes to something, You're silently saying no to something else. That could be time with friends and family. It could be sleep. It could be um, time to reflect on a new passion. So I try to keep that mantra in my head. Easier said than done, because of course, we're asked to do a lot, I think, uh, yes. in today's busy society. But remembering that you need to say no to things in order to have time for those uh, things that otherwise are quiet and fall off the plate uh, is important. Yes. And last question for the rapid fire. What is one thing we cannot Google about you? One thing that is not Googleable about me that's on my mind as it's heading towards Halloween season in the US is I'm actually a huge scary movie fan, which oh, wow. I never would have expected growing up. I always would get scared very easily, but I've gotten to really love horror movies, especially some of the more creative ones that have come out in recent years. So that's one of my Activities that I spend doing in my free time, especially in the lead up to Halloween. <laughs> wow. So basically, for Halloween, we need to come by your house and do the trick or treat, right? <laughs> exactly. I have Halloween decorations up. 
Perfect. And to get things started, I'm so curious to find out how you ended up here as a professor at the uni in Zurich. Could you please share the key milestones that led you to, to this part in your life? Yeah, my journey to Zurich is actually a mix of both, I'd say, professional and personal steps on a journey. So on the personal side, you know, as you noticed, I studied German during undergrad. And part of the reason why I did that is that my dad actually had a sabbatical in Stuttgart, Germany when I was younger. And he, you know, brought all the kids over. I was 12 at the time. And I started to learn German, went to German school and started to just have an enthusiasm for the German speaking world. So to me, to move back to Germany and Switzerland was an exciting opportunity because I've always enjoyed living in the German speaking part of the world. And my sister actually moved to Zurich before me, I think also having oh, wow. been inspired by her time. Yeah, living abroad with... And is she still here? She is. She lives a 20-minute wow. walk away from me, which is very nice. She did her master's and then PhD in architecture at the ETH. So I knew from her generally that Zurich was a wonderful place to live and do research and to be in academia. Um, and then that gets, I guess, to the professional side for the reasons why I made the move. I was kind of looking for opportunities both in the U.S. and Europe as I had finished my Ph.D. and was thinking about the, the next steps. And I found a job opportunity at the University of Zurich posted by a professor, Jochen Menges, who focuses on leadership and emotion. And in my doctoral work, I'd started focusing a lot on the consequences of leaders leading by example, so really trying to practice what they preach in their own lives when that works when that can actually backfire and have some unexpected downsides. And that was, you know, kind of along this line of, of my interest in leaders exposing flaws and shortcomings and when that can be powerful. And this was a topic that Jochen Menges was also very excited about. So he came over for an interview to Zurich, kind of pitched this interest and idea in the power of flaws. And that was something he was excited for us to work on together as he was building up his new team at the University of Zurich. So I then got the opportunity to join his team as a postdoc in February of 2019 and have been here ever since. Wow. And how did you get interested in, in those topics that you're working on now? What's the backstory behind beliefs and mindset and why that? Yeah, I think for me, I've always been just so excited about research that feels actionable. So one reason why I became interested in studying social psychology in the first place was that to me, it felt like the science of how to understand people better and then use those insights to make life better, whether to help people live a happier life, a healthier life, to promote sustainable behavior. So I always have just had a passion for research that could be used to intervene and make the, the world better in some way. And so to me, the topic of mindsets, of beliefs and expectations was really powerful because it showed me that You can enact a lot of change by shifting people's beliefs. I hear having impact, very like purpose-inspired research. I think um, the best research is research that not only tells us more about how people live in the world, but where we can also understand things better by trying to change them and improve them in some way. And a lot of my role models in research have had exactly that kind of approach to their, to their research. And to get things started, what is actually a mindset and what are beliefs? So in a, in a nutshell, how would you describe it? The way that I think about mindsets, kind of also here, inspired by the work of Ali Kram at Stanford, 
is that there are these subjective lenses through which we see the world around us. And I can say a little bit more about what I mean by that. So reality is often very complex and has different angles. So for instance, let's take a topic like having side effects from a medication. There's a lot of things that are going on when you have side effects from a medication, and there's different kind of truths that you can pay attention to as that happens. So on the one hand, there's this truth that side effects are something uncomfortable that can happen when you take a medication that you kind of just have to get through to get the benefits of the medication. But on the other hand, there's sometimes truths that we might overlook. So for instance, for some treatments, besides side effects just being uncomfortable things we have to endure, side effects can also be a sign that the treatment is working as expected, yes. that the medication is taking effect. When I think about mindsets, I think about orienting people towards a selective aspect of that truth in ways that can then have downstream consequences. So if you shift people's attention, shift their mindset towards the fact that symptoms can also be a sign that a treatment is working, then it can help them to feel less anxious about symptoms. Yeah, because then they actually want to have the side effects because they want to have the benefit of the treatment. Exactly. Yeah, you start to interpret that differently. You don't think about these symptoms. Oh, are they a sign actually that my condition's really bad or that things aren't going well? You can help people to shift their mindset. That shifts how they interpret the things that happen to them in the world around them in ways that can be for the better. So that's the mindset and the beliefs. How would you describe those? Yeah, so I would say beliefs are stances we can have that could be true or false, right? I can believe that the sky is blue. I could also believe that the sky is green. In one case, I'd be right. In one case, I'd be wrong. So I'd say there are these, uh, yeah, stances that we have towards facts in the world around us that could be, could be true or false. Where I think mindsets are different than beliefs is if you really think about this complex reality where it's not necessarily, you know, beliefs that are true or false and choosing one belief over another. It's these kind of truths that exist in parallel that we pay attention to, to a greater or lesser extent, depending on our mindset. And you've been working on those topics for a number of years. How has that changed your beliefs and your mindset? I think it's been very inspiring to reflect on a lot of my own default mindsets that before starting this line of research, I never really would have questioned. So the first time that I learned about mindsets was when I started to learn about Carol Dweck's research. Yeah. She's also a professor in the psychology department at Stanford and created this body of research around fixed and growth mindsets, as you might have heard about. And she started exploring these mindsets in the domain of intelligence. Do we see intelligence as something that's really you know, just kind of static. You have a certain amount, can't really change it. Or is it something that you can actually grow? Can you become smarter by engaging in certain strategies? And for me, learning about this research caused me to stop and self-reflect about my own mindsets about intelligence that I, I don't think I'd ever really paused to consider before and think about these alternative ways of viewing intelligence. And I joke sometimes that I'm a recovering entity theorist um, when it comes to intelligence. Because I think when I look back at my childhood and the way that I reacted, I think I did have a bit more of a fixed mindset about intelligence in some ways that might have, you know, scared me away from certain challenges. So it has been very eye-opening to learn about mindsets and to stop to consider them in a variety of different domains. Because I think, you know, One thing that's inspired me about Carol's work is that she's shown that mindsets can matter in a lot of different domains, not just when it comes to intelligence, but things like personality, beliefs yes. about groups, morality, beliefs about our shyness. 
there's all sorts of different domains where the same distinction applies. And that's caused me to stop and question my mindsets about different topics more than I did in the past. How is the link between the beliefs and the mindset and setting ourselves up for success? What's the link there? Yeah, I think there's a process that's unfolded when we change our mindsets, that it can change our feelings and our behaviors in ways that can help us to lead to success. But there's a there's definitely a process there as well. It's not like change your mindset and all of a sudden it's a magical key that unlocks every door. You know, if you start to embrace the ways that intelligence can be trained and developed, if you start to pay attention to cases where that's true, that can then help you to, when you face a setback, feel like that setback isn't threatening, that it's not a sign that you're not good at something and should just give up, but it's a sign of maybe how you could direct your efforts more wisely or what you could do differently next time. And I think seeing these things then not as threats can then help people to say, okay, I'll try this differently in a way that then can ultimately um, feed into later success. So I think it's a process, but I think what mindsets do is they shape the way that we react to the challenges and setbacks that happen in the world around us in a way that can help us to persist through some challenges that otherwise might have derailed us or knocked us off course. And when I want to do that, how do I get started? Do I first need to change my beliefs or what is the first step? I think what's powerful about mindsets is as I was kind of laying out before, to some degree, like both aspects of a mindset are true in a lot of cases. Like if you think about intelligence, like, yeah, there is a portion that's genetic inheritable, but then there's also a lot of evidence that you can train certain aspects of your intelligence, like creative problem solving and things like that. So I think both truths are there. So I think because both of these things have some truth to them, you can shift your mindset by starting to pay attention to this alternative truth and think about how it's true for you. So for instance, if I you know, was thinking about my shyness and reflecting on my shyness, maybe I would start to think about opportunities where I actually broke out of my shell, where I actually was a lot bolder than I might have expected. And I think sometimes talking to friends can help in these cases too. Like I think, you know, as one personal story, I used to really think of myself as a shy person, definitely had placed that label on myself. But at the same time, I was doing a lot of things that took some boldness. Like I was um, studying abroad. I moved to Germany and taught English for a year. And I remember speaking to a colleague there and I described myself as shy and he was baffled. He was like, I've never seen you as shy. Like, you know, you're here having this conversation, traveling around. And that was kind of an aha moment where I was like, oh, there are aspects of my personality that are not shy. Maybe I can, you know, reflect on how that's true for me and, and build on it rather than staying stuck with this label of shy. So I think the more that we can pay attention to that truth and kind of say it in our own words, that's a way that we can start to shift our mindset. And this even draws on an effect in psychology that's known as the saying is believing effect, where if you can get someone to endorse a truth in their own words, that can be helpful in persuading them that that is true. And this is actually a strategy that we've used in some mindsets interventions to shift people's mindsets. So what I'm also hearing is if you take on a different perspective, maybe the perspective of a friend of yours or an outsider, that that can already help you to also shift your beliefs. Yeah, I think a lot of the time friends or conversations can point out aspects of the truth that maybe wouldn't have paid attention. This is also what I see a lot in coaching. I mean, there the assumption is that the people have the answers within them and by 
getting lots of questions and reflecting and looking at it from different angles, people are like, ah, and then suddenly something is shifting and something is happening. Yeah, I think that's a very nice parallel of what that process can look like. There are a lot of limiting beliefs. How can I identify those limiting beliefs and how can I overcome them to make sure I go into the growth mindset? I think that these limiting beliefs become very salient when we face difficulties. To use intelligence as an example, when you get a bad grade on a test and face this negative feedback, that's a point where these limiting beliefs of like, oh, I'm just not good at this. I should give up. I should do something else. I'm never going to take a math class again. That's when I think these kind of voices start yeah. to come out. Um, at the same time, in some of my research with Carol Dweck, we looked at, for instance, breakups, romantic rejection as a very painful part of life, where again, I think in dealing with the aftermath of these negative events, that's where you start to realize you're telling yourself a certain story. So uh, I think I'm really, not lovable. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what we found in this research is that it was interesting to see how differently people could react to painful breakups, you know, where some said, hey, like this sucks, it hurts, but it's a stepping stone to a brighter future of relationships. I've learned more about myself and other people and it'll be okay. Whereas other people really clung to it saying, you know, this rejection showed me that I'm unlovable, that I'm clingy, that I lack things that people want. Uh, these negative voices kind of came up through even the writing that people did about their relationships. So I think when you face challenges, taking time to reflect, to write, to unpack with friends or family, um, to go to therapy or counseling to understand more what you might be telling yourself and whether these beliefs are helpful or not um, is a useful way to kind of see any kind of crisis as a potential opportunity to unpack more how your beliefs are helping you to approach it or not. And can I link that also to self-fulfilling prophecies? Because I can strive or shape my future with what I'm believing today. Yeah, I think that's true, right? And I think that's also something that can play out in, in different ways in different domains. So if you, if you take the example of romantic rejection, if you face a painful rejection and you think, wow, I'm unlovable, then when you start a new relationship, you might really struggle to trust that person. You might struggle to open up because you think they're going to see something that they don't like about me. But at the same time, if you're nervous, if you can't open up to that person, that's going to hinder the development of the relationship with that person um, in ways that could be problematic. So I think there are these kind of elements of, of self-fulfilling prophecies that can play out uh, when we have certain beliefs. Also, if you think about intelligence as an example, if you get a bad grade on a test and you think, I'm never going to take a math class again, of course, you're not going to develop your, your math abilities. You're just going to kind of avoid that area and take a different route. So I think it can become self-fulfilling. Yeah. It's like if I think about public speaking, because I believe that's a fear for many people. So in the workplace, if they didn't do the best presentation ever, they might say they will never, ever do that again. And that is that is part of promoting yourself and be recognized and have people see that you have the potential for the next level so they are standing in their own way. Yeah, I love public speaking as an example. It's also one that resonates with me personally. When I started <laughs> grad school, I was terrified of public speaking, but especially having an office down the hall from Carol Dweck, I thought, I need to have a growth mindset about this. This is something I'm going to have to do if I pursue this career path. So I really did challenge myself to sign up for every opportunity to talk in public in grad school, even before bigger audiences that I was, you know, intimidated by. And if you kind of create these opportunities to work on your fears, then you start to see, ah, it can get better. Um, I can work on this. If you give yourself these opportunities, then it can 
help over time. I love that example. And so what I'm hearing is like, if you recognize that you do have a fear or something where you feel very limited, I'm not good at this, is like push yourself mm -hmm. every time a little bit more to get proof that you are not as bad as you think. Is that the right way to go about it? Yeah, I think if you just allow yourself the opportunity to kind of practice, if you accept that like, yeah, it's not going to feel great every time. And there's some, you know, opportunities that I'll try out that may not work out as expected. But hey, I'm practicing, I'm trying, I'm learning as I go. And I think it's just uh, not giving up on the opportunities and withdrawing that's important. And what beliefs and what mindset is now the best to be successful in five years from now? What do you re recommend there? Yeah, you know, I think what's really exciting about the science on mindsets as well is showing that we can have different mindsets about different aspects of our life. So it's not like you can put people into two categories where it's like, this is a growth mindset person. This is a fixed mindset person. The same person who has a growth mindset about intelligence might have a more fixed mindset about personality um, or might have, you know, a more fixed mindset about certain aspects like science ability as opposed to other kinds of skills, like maybe having more of a growth mindset about um, English or uh, writing or other kinds of abilities. So I think it's, it's very nuanced. And what's worth considering is the domains where we hope to grow, whether it's because of professional demands or because it's something that's important to us in our personal life or for our hobbies or passions. It's worth reflecting on, hey, what are the mindsets that are potentially important here Where, where are my default mindsets? Where am I happy with things? Where might I want to shift things? And just kind of considering the different aspects of your life where that can apply. So yeah, I think it's a personal question to some degree. And when you look at the future, because I know it's like technology is ever changing, AI is playing more of a role, some jobs will be created that we don't know yet about, some will go away. How can I really become this more adaptable person that I'm not scared of the future, but excited that something really fun is happening. When I think about the future of work, I think where it starts to feel intimidating is when we look at all of these shifts in the world, like these rapid advances in technology, yeah. like artificial intelligence, it can feel like it's overwhelming and it's out of our hands. And we're these kind of passive recipients of a future of work where it's like tech will change things and we have to adapt. But I think what that misses is that there's a very human side to the story of the future of work as well. It's not like we just react to what technology does. We decide how to implement technology. We decide how to integrate tools into the workplace or not. So I think we have a lot of agency over the future of work as we want to create it. And I think just as much as tech will be important, a lot of the experts who are making predictions about the future of work show that fundamentally human skills, things like empathy, teamwork, negotiation, and persuasion. These are all things that will be really valuable in the future of work. That means that there will be a place for humans in our unique skill set in the future of work. And I think where we create the best future of work is when we really bring together these two skill sets, the ability to use technology also with these fundamentally human yes. skills. So I think we shouldn't forget that we're, you know, we're uh, active shapers of the future of work, not just passive recipients. So we have some control. That's what I'm hearing. We can decide what kinds of job opportunities to create. We can decide what skill sets will be valuable. And I think to some degree, there's a bit of an element of a self-fulfilling prophecy there too. If we decide, hey, we want a future of work where empathy is important, we'll create job opportunities, develop tools in ways that use that skill.
And for people who want to work on themselves, like the one word that's coming up for me is the mantra. Is that something that could be helpful? I just like to develop my own mantra that I tell myself once a day, five times a day or something. Is there something powerful around that? I think there's something very powerful about reminders when it comes to mindsets or things that you want to practice. It could be a mantra. It could be like a physical symbol or a reminder. I have some mm-hmm. colleagues who have like post-its that they put on their monitors that remind them of the things that are really important to them or that they're working towards. And I think that can even be true when it comes to thinking about the power of mindsets, just these, these reminders that can help us to remember to reflect on mindsets. Perfect. And time is always flying. Is there anything else you would like to share about beliefs and mindsets with our audience? I'd say also it's important to remember that, you know, mindsets aren't a cure-all or a panacea, right? Like they can have effects because they can shift the way that people feel and act, but it's not a magic bullet, so to say. It's something that, you know, can unfold over time, but it's also something where it matters to the environment that someone is in. And so I don't want to say that, you know, change your mindset, change everything. It can be a starting point, but of course there's contextual factors that matter too. But I had the thought before as well. It's like surround yourself with people that also have that kind of mindset because I guess that will also like see it to believe it. That will show you also what is possible. Yeah, the people who you're surrounded by I think very much matters. And there's interesting research that people have done looking at exactly this and how, uh, you know, the people that we interact with influence our mindsets. So for instance, one of my colleagues at Stanford did a study that I think is really fascinating that looked at the factors that predict children's mindsets about intelligence. And she found that one big factor was the way that parents felt about failure. So whether they saw failure as something that's debilitating, that should be avoided, where it's like, don't fail, no matter what, failure is bad or whether they viewed failure more as something that can be enhancing, where you can learn and grow. And their reactions to setbacks were really then predictive of children's mindsets. So I think that's you know one example of how we're really shaped by the people who are around us. And yeah, it's worth, worth reflecting on that. Wow. I find that so powerful because it gives me control. It's like there are things I can change to set myself up for success. So I really like hearing that. Yeah. And just a few questions left. What is coming up next for you? Yeah, there's a lot of different things that I'm excited about. One is related to a lot of the things that we've been discussing today, namely thinking about empathy. So I have one project where we just collected data from over 18,000 adults across 35 countries, so kind of a global study. And what I found there that I thought was interesting is that people tend to have more fixed mindsets about skills like empathy and emotional intelligence than other attributes like programming aptitude or intelligence broadly. Specifically, it seems to be strong for empathy. So I think that suggests that that's one skill where people might see it more as something that you either have or don't, kind of like the stable personality trait, rather than really seeing it as a skill that can be learned and developed. And we know from a lot of the evidence that actually empathy can be trained if you look at randomized controlled trials. So that's something that I think is combining kind of both my, my interest in mindsets with this angle of the future of work, where I think if we want to strive towards a more empathetic future or leaders who have more empathy, we also need to reflect on how we might promote growth mindsets about empathy to think of it as a skill that can be learned and developed and gained. Wow. 
And who else should I have on this show? That is a great question. I will have to reflect. I think one one person who could be interesting to talk to would actually be someone who came up as one of my role models, Carrie Leibowitz. The reason why I say this is she is actually writing a book right now called How to Winter, which investigates oh, wow. our mindsets about winter. Because of course, winter is one season that can be challenging for people as daylight kind of fades, the weather starts to shift. So she might be someone interesting to talk to when you think about another angle where mindsets can be powerful. That's fun. Thank you. I will ask you for the intro introduction afterwards. And everybody who feels intrigued and wants to learn more about you, how can people stay in touch with you? Yeah, there's two ways I would say. One is to find me either on my website or over LinkedIn as well. I'm always happy to connect with people and share updates there. Another is through newsletter of the Center for, the Le Center for Leadership in the Future of Work that I'm a part of. You can go to www.leadthefuture.org and sign up to get updates not only about my own research, but about the wider research in the team that's exploring how human aspects like mindsets, emotions, social relationships matter as we work towards a future of work that's better for people. Perfect. I loved our conversation and thank you so much that you joined me today. And I look forward to seeing you in person very soon. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation, Joanna. It's been a very fun discussion and looking forward to being in touch. I hope you feel inspired to work on your goals now. And if somebody else comes to mind who could benefit from the episode, why not forward it? And yes, you helping me spread the word means the world to me. So thank you so much. If I can ever be of help with my coaching hat on, just send me an email or a message via LinkedIn and then we take it from there. And don't forget to follow us on social at Delegate and Reaching Your Goals podcast. If you want to hear from us in between episodes, sign up for our newsletter at delegate.substack.com. And with that, we are done for today. We are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next time. Bye.